For most people, work is just that. It's work. For a few lucky people, it's much more than that. They found a calling or a vocation. People are motivated by very different things, but for me, the idea of a calling or a vocation has always been very strongly present. I want what I do with my time and my labour to have meaning in the world. This calling isn't something you just find one day and snap into. It takes time and effort to reveal. This week, my guest is Jeff Goins. Jeff is an author, an entrepreneur, and his books The Art of Work and Real Artists Don't Starve have both had a big impact on my personal philosophy. Not only does Jeff write great books about things which really matter to me, he's also a great digital entrepreneur, and he's going to share exactly how his business works on the back end too. It's going to be a real treat. Hi there, and welcome back to Amplify, the digital marketing entrepreneur podcast. I'm Bob Gentle, and every Monday, I'm joined by amazing people who share what makes their business work. If you're new to the show, then take a second now to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes, and you can grab some older ones when you're done with this one. Also, an extra nugget for you this week, I launched on YouTube uh, probably around a month ago, and if you do enjoy this show, you'll probably get a lot from the YouTube channel as well. Every subscriber counts, so I would be delighted if you head over there, probably while you're listening to this, hit the subscribe button and the bell so you get notifications when I launch new videos. Don't forget to join our Facebook community, you'll find that at the shortcut URL amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders and you'll be taken right there. So welcome along and let's meet Jeff. So this week I am delighted to welcome Jeff Goins to the show. Jeff is the organizer of the Tribe Conference, have I got that right? Mm-hmm, that's right. Author of five books, have I got that right? Yes. Speaker from around the world um, and one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. Good to be here. Yeah, you're great fun to follow on Instagram. I really oh. enjoy your feed. <laughs> Thanks, man. So I am really, really excited to have you on the show because your books, they really speak. I, I think I don't know if your books necessarily speak to everybody, but they certainly speak to me because the idea of vocation is something that I've really struggled with over the years. And mm. I think for a lot of people, I, I think I read a stat from I think it was with some of your content that only 13% of people when surveyed felt that what they were doing for money was actually aligned with what they really felt their true calling was uh, and for me that just seems so sad yeah um, but yeah. for me go, go ahead yeah no it's uh, that, that was that Gallup poll from years ago where they surveyed a, a good sample and it was a worldwide study and they found that 87% of the world's workers were either disengaged or actively disengaged in their work, um, meaning they were like throwing wrenches <laughs> into the machine, you know, like that'd be actively disengaged or just disengaged, like I'm, I'm kind of punching a time clock. In other words, almost nine out of 10 people in the world are, um, I mean, forget happiness, forget uh, fulfilled in the work that they're doing. Uh, these people just aren't even engaged. Um, and I thought, gosh, what a tragedy that is. And what would the world look like if people were just more engaged in the work that they were doing? So again, that, that's a theme that seems to run through all of your work. And I'm keen to know what, what took you there? What was the genesis of, of really the Jeff Coins? as a writer, the body of work progressing from that. What drew you to that? I don't think it was a conscious desire, Bob. I have started to uh, 
realize that we we only make sense of things when we look backward. You know, there's that uh, Nietzsche quote, uh, life can only be understood backwards, but it can only be lived forward. And uh, Steve Jobs said something similar in the you know famous connecting uh, the dots commencement speech, where it's only in retrospect that you can make sense of your life. And I remember reading recently uh, in a book called The Artist's Journey by Stephen Pressfield, where he said that the artist creates not as an act of self-expression, uh, but as an act of self-discovery, meaning we understand ourselves through our own body of work. And if you create enough work, write enough books, publish enough podcasts, start enough businesses, you start to see a theme woven throughout all of the work that you're doing, including the really random outlier experiences. And so after five books of my own now, and I ghostwrite books as well with clients, uh, I look back at the projects, all of them that I've done, and there has always been this theme of identity woven throughout all of it. And vocation is really an expression of identity. It's the, you know, first question is, who am I? Second question is, well, now what, what do I do? And um, I, I am beginning to make sense of that. I don't know where it started other than I have always, always, always been curious about the question, who am I? And, you know, that goes pretty deep. I've got some trauma in my past. I had a chaotic upbringing as a child. And so I think that instilled a story in me or at least raised the doubt, am I okay? Am I all right? And if you're constantly looking for reassurance and affirmation, um, that leads you down some interesting paths. And so... Um, creativity for me uh, was a way of not just expressing myself, but really understanding myself. And there was this this deep question that I was trying to answer, which is, am I okay? And the exploration of that question um, has produced a lot of work of um, like, what are the different things that I've done and that I've observed other people doing uh, to try to answer that question? Um and, and, and so, you know, my, my question is, am I okay? And then behind that question is, um, well, who, who is me? Who am I, right? Who, who is the I that needs to be okay in the first place? And uh, I do think that is the universal question of the human experience, which is, who am I really? And how do I figure that out? And I think vocation is the expression of identity. And so we find out who we are through the work that we do. And that could be um, an actual job or a business, or it could be um, a hobby, passion project, whatever, but it is the work that you're here to do uh, right now. And I think we all learn who we are through um, experience. And I'm just, all the books that I write are just different angles on that question, you know? So um, Real Artists Don't Starve is, is a creative angle on that. The Art of Work is a broader uh, angle on that. The first book that I ever uh, published, You Are a Writer, is about finding out, well, well, who am I? You know, like, what does it mean to be a writer? But they're all the same question uh, with different types of answers that are essentially pointing to the same basic answer. Um, and and they're, just, they're just different ways to ask the question. I think one of the things that I really liked, and I think it was from The Art of Work, was 
the idea of the path and not the plan. And that's something that I've really, I think there's a certain personality type and I, I'm probably one of them mm. that finds it very difficult to move until there's a very clear plan. Right. And that has held me back for years mm. and actually understanding that you just need to take the steps. And when you start taking the steps, the next step will become apparent, but not until you step. Right. And the other thing that I really liked was that once you actually understand what the path is, you understand what the vocation or the purpose is, the incentive to do the things that are very painful, actually for a lot of people, for me as an introvert, to do a YouTube video is a <laughs> painful thing. Yeah. But it needs to be done because the mission needs it. But until you know the mission, mm. you're never going to do it, mm. um, which is why this is such an important thing for many people. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm curious to explore with you is obviously the books are great, but this is the Digital Marketing Entrepreneur Show. And yeah. I am, your books are very relevant to anybody in this space because a lot of digital marketing is tech or tactics, but a lot of it is actually what needs to happen in your head to make you do those difficult things mm. to build your personal brand and your visibility. For some people, they're easy, but for a lot of people, they're just not. But I'd also like to explore what your business looks like. Sure. A lot of auth a lot of people assume you write books as an author, you publish the books, you, you get paid for the books, you rub your hands all the way to the bank. And that's <laughs> just not the reality, I think, for a lot of authors. Right. And I know you have a brilliant sort of making quotation marks back end in your business. Mm -hmm. And I'd be really curious if you'd be willing to sort of reveal that a little bit for the listener. Sure. You know, I started um, uh, an online business teaching online courses for writers and creatives. I started it because I didn't think I could make any money writing books. And I didn't want to be in this feast or famine cycle that I knew a lot of authors lived in where it's like, you know, get a book deal, get paid a bunch of money, and then write as quickly as you can before the money run, runs out and then try to go get another book deal. Or, so, or sometimes it was, you know, travel and run around the world like crazy speaking to, you know, get paid a consistent monthly income. Uh, but it seems pretty chaotic. And I was starting a family at the same time I was thinking about becoming a writer. Uh, it wasn't even necessarily part of the plan. It was just this feeling that had begun to well up in me, I describe it as an itch that I couldn't quite scratch, you know, so I started applying for their jobs. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't find resonance there. A lot of, a lot of jobs I applied for, they, they turned me down or they all, all of a sudden did a reorg. And so I felt a sense of angst. I was a marketing director at a nonprofit. So I'd learned a lot about online marketing in the previous seven years that I'd worked there, but I was just feeling like, this season is over and something new wants to be birthed in and through me. And I think it was Parker Palmer who asks the question, um, is the life I'm living consistent with the life that wants to be lived through me? And I felt that I felt like the life that I'm living was no longer consistent with, uh, the, the life that wanted to be lived through me, a sense of deeper calling and purpose. Um, so, you know, I start writing books. I start this blog. Uh, I get a book deal. My first book deal is for $6,000, you know, which was a nice chunk of cash. I was making about $3,000 a month working for the nonprofit. So, you know, two months, uh, of pay 
for a book. I was like, oh, cool. This is great. But I also was like, all right, I can't quit my job over this. And I was seeing a lot of people starting online courses and I was following copy blogger and I liked their model of build an audience, kind of validate a product to that audience and then sell them the thing that everybody says, yeah, I'll pay you money for that. And I was documenting everything that I was doing on my blog as a writer and people were following along, asking questions. And so I thought, well, maybe I can sell them something, you know, an online course or an information product, an ebook or something. And so I, I started doing that with great success. And so in 2012, I published two books and launched my first online course and made about $150,000 uh, in six months, which was way better than the $37,000 salary I was getting at the nonprofit. Oh, yeah. So that continued. Essentially, I would write a book every uh, other year. Um, and, and, and then I would teach online courses um, similar to the stuff that I was writing about, but it was like, I wanted to write about whatever I wanted to write about and then kind of teach the behind the scenes, you know, so I had a blogging course and a, a book writing course, uh, you know, and I experimented with a bunch of different programs, but I really did think of them sort of as separate businesses. I write books and speak and spread ideas on the things that interest me. And this is an act of self, you know, it's an act of creative expression. Um, and then I, on a more practical level, teach online programs, run events, workshops, and masterminds for people like me, writers and creative entrepreneurs who want to make a living off of their creative work. Uh, and, and that's, that's how it's gone since then. Today, um, I essentially have three different businesses. They all kind of run under the same umbrella, but they're three very different uh, income streams. One is uh, the digital course business, the online course business, where uh, I, I run a mastermind of creative entrepreneurs. That's so like a coaching program. Uh, I teach online courses uh, for writers, bloggers, and creatives. I've got nine different programs uh, for that. Um, and, you know, all the online marketing stuff that people do, occasional affiliate promotions and things like that. But that's business one. The other business is I write and speak. I write a book every couple of years and speak on, on those ideas. And that's kind of the brand of me, Jeff Goins. Uh, and then the third newer income stream is a ghost writing agency where a research assistant and I, and we may bring in a writer um, soon to help us with some of the, the writing. Uh, we write books for thought leaders um, and we write a very specific kind of book for a, um, you know, with a, a specific kind of client. We specifically work with uh, business leaders um, and self-help and personal development voices, uh, people who have big ideas, and we help them take their best ideas and make them even bigger. And as you know, Bob, because you've heard me speak on this, uh, I have a a specific approach to that kind of uh, work where I don't think any old idea is necessarily going to make a good book. It has to be, um, the, the idea has to be a, a, a big idea and a, a good idea is not good enough. It needs to also be interesting. So in terms of income streams, that's, I'm always, you know, working on those, those three different areas. We're working with clients and writing their books. I'm doing online promotions of, uh, programs to help writers and creatives. Uh, and, and I run that mastermind with that. And then I'm, you know, always working on the next book for me or, you know, speaking, I'm not doing a lot of speaking right now, but that was, um, that has been a, a good income stream as well. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody's doing much public speaking right <laughs> no, now. No, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the things you said there was, I run masterminds for people like me. Yes. And it would be very easy to just skim past that. But in in the digital marketing space, we're all told mastermind, mastermind. No, not mastermind, avatar, avatar. You must have an avatar. Is your avatar as simple as people like me? No, uh, because I think we make a mistake sometimes as quote unquote experts, right? And few of us want to think of ourselves as experts, but I do love what Derek Siver says about this, which is what's obvious to you is amazing to others. (laughs) And so I think I'm not reaching people like me as much as I'm reaching people like I was five or 10 years ago. And I have to remind myself that the things that are obvious to me uh, are not necessarily obvious to other people. Or what I take for granted now is not something that somebody who's just starting out as a writer or creative entrepreneur um, is going to take for granted. So I do think in terms of psychographics more than demographics, I think that is especially relevant on the internet, uh, meaning I'm not so concerned with how old you are, what color your skin is, or uh, you know where you're from as much as I'm wondering, do you think like I think? Do you experience the world the way that I experience the world? Um, can we connect at an emotional level. Um, As you know, uh, emotions, psychology, very, very important in the world of marketing. So um, when it comes to, say, teaching um, a mastermind, I'm looking not just for people who want to solve a specific problem, but um, have a similar ethos as I do. They, They see the world in a similar way, which is to say, Um, They don't want to be just another online marketer. This is my tribe. These are artists. These are creatives. These are sensitive people who want to do interesting and unique work in the world. And my job, I think, is to actually translate what works in the world of online marketing and online business to people who would otherwise go, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Because that's what I wanted 10 years ago. Uh, when I got started with this was like, I wanted a human approach to this that didn't require me to check my morality or my artistic sensibilities at the door. And I couldn't, you know, I mean, you, you remember the, the internet, especially the space of online marketing 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot in, in that vein, right? There, there wasn't a lot of like, you know, here's how to not spam the crap out of your list, you know, uh, approach. It was, um, there wasn't a lot of tasteful marketing at the time. There were a few people, you know, copy blogger, Brian Clark, Darren Rouse. Uh, these are some of the people that I was following. Um, and, uh, you know, they were doing things in a way that, that sat right with me. And it wasn't like, I didn't think people were doing it in an evil way. It just was kind of distasteful to me. And so the question was, can I succeed at this without becoming that kind of person that I, that I don't want to be? And, and I, and I could, And I had to, you know, there were trade-offs and compromises and all kinds of questions to make along the way where, you know, it's like, am I willing to do this? Well, sure. Am I willing to do that? Uh, I don't think so. And um, I try to remember that what was attractive to me 10 years ago wasn't just a solution to my problem. It was a solution to my problem articulated in a way that resonated with my own worldview. Yeah, I think that resonance is really important. There has to be a sympathetic resonance as a human and not just as a market demographic. Yeah, and I think um, 
I'm a big fan of Seth Godin. I always think he's, you know, five years ahead of everyone. And, um, he talks about this in his latest book. This is marketing, which is a great book. It's a great primer on the state of the world of marketing right now. And, and he's been, you know, leading this conversation for 25 years. Um, and one of the things that he says, and I think it's especially true now is what you want is a minimum viable audience. You actually want the smallest audience possible who gets what you have to say. And years ago I was in his office and he basically challenged me like, what do you want to do and how many people do you actually need to do it? And have you sat down and thought about that number? Cause it's probably not as big as your ego think it needs to be. <laughs> and it was true, you know? And he was like, what is it? A million people, 10 million people, a hundred thousand people, five people. How many people do you actually need to create the kind of change that you want to create. And if we can, as marketers, stop thinking in terms of everyone and start thinking in terms of someone, we win. Because, uh, you know, you said at the beginning of this uh, conversation, Bob, I don't know if your books are for everyone, but they're certainly for me. And I'm going, oh, thank God. You know, the worst thing in the world for an author is for uh, their books to be for everyone. I mean, that never works. What might happen is you have somebody write a book for a certain someone and they like it so much that they go tell everybody about it. Um, and then eventually, you know, you get a Harry Potter on your hands or something where quote unquote, everyone is reading it. But the way that you reach everyone is really by first intentionally uh, reaching someone And the internet makes this really, really easy. And most people are squandering this opportunity because they're trying to talk to everybody. Yeah, that's a really nice perspective. And it kind of leads me on to a question that I think has probably been bugging me for a while, probably mm. bugs other people. Mm. And that is when you come to write a book, it's a big commitment. And once it's done, you can't really control what happens with it. Right. And I, what I sometimes worry about, and this is much the same with public speaking, is if you turn up as the person who's doing the thing, that almost defines you. And mm. have you found that as you write books that that has become a constraint that you're the you're the guy who does that thing or have you do you understand my question yeah, of course yeah that, um that, that, I, that, I think that i worry that the books define yeah but define you i think it depends on how many books you write you know you write mm. one book like you're that guy right um i've written five books and the stakes seem to diminish with each new book i write and, uh, and you see this with people who have a large body of work, uh, like, like Seth Godin, he's written 20 books. Um, even Ryan Holiday, who's a, you know, a newer on the scene author and has quickly, you know, risen to star status, selling millions of copies of his books. And he's written something like seven books in the past five years. And some of them, most, most of them have done really well. A few of them have done exceptionally well and, and some of them haven't, you know, done that great. Uh, but the more work that you produce in an intentional way, I don't think more is always better, but the more work you produce, the lower the stakes go, right? Especially when it comes to sharing a message. I do think that there are two ways to look at a book. The first is that this and this is the typical business person's way of looking at a book, which is this is a megaphone 
for my message. This is a way for me to position myself as an authority and become that quote unquote guy, that person, that gal, whatever you want to call it. Like I'm the, I'm the, you know, Brene Brown is, is the, uh, vulnerability, uh, champion, right? And that's her thing. That's her message and everything she writes contributes to that. Uh, so that's one way to think about a book as a way to establish your authority in a particular niche. Another way to write a book is to say something that can't be said any other way. And the writers, the great writers of history, whom I respect and admire, didn't seem to think in terms of the first uh, modality of writing a book, you know, the thought leader space. And there's nothing wrong with it. I love Brene Brown. Um, but that is a newer way of thinking about writing a book. I write a book so that, so that people will think I'm this kind of person. And it's fine and it works. The other way to do it is to go, nobody's saying this and this needs to be said. And I don't even care if my name's attached to it. This is why, you know, you sometimes have people write books and it's, they're anonymous, right? This thing needs to be said. I, the more and more I go down this path, uh, I, you know, a very immature, younger version of myself thought, I write this book, I become this guy. And, I, and so I don't want to write this book if I don't want to be known for this thing, which is a very um, ego-driven way of looking at it. And again, it works and it happens. So I'm not saying don't be aware of that. You know, you wouldn't want to put your name on something that you didn't want to be associated with. That said, the more I go down this path, the more I see work as play. And if I want to write a book about parenting, because it needs to be said this way, uh, I'm going to do that. And, and the more, um, diverse you make your body of work, uh, the more people come to expect, oh, you know, of course he, he wrote about, uh, parenting or, you know, what have you, um, cause he writes about whatever he wants to write about. So, um, your audience will expect whatever you allow them to expect. You know, I don't use the word train or, or teach them, but it's like, um, you can write about whatever you want to write about. Um, just make sure that you're doing it in a way that matters to you. So again, long answer to a short question. It depends how many books you write and why you're doing it in the first place. And sometimes you don't know until you're done with it. But um, yeah, I mean like Real Artists Don't Starve is the last book that I wrote. And it did not sell better than the previous book, which was about vocation and purpose, the art of work. And that makes sense, right? A book about finding your purpose is going to have a much broader audience than a business book for creatives. And yet both books served their purpose in as far as I could understand them while I was writing them. Yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. I think another question I would like to ask, because in many respects, writing a book is almost the pinnacle of content marketing. It's a big commitment. It's a big, spectacular piece of content. And... I think for a lot of people, that's a very big elephant to eat. So I'd be curious if you could maybe break down, not the whole finished editing process, but your process of maybe getting from the kernel of an idea to a first draft. What does that, what, what should it look like? I think a lot of marketers, a lot of people in this space that you and I both um, swim around in, think, you know, I've got a blog, I've got an email list, now I need to have a book. And they think of a book, again, this is going back to the two different ways of looking at, at a book. Mm -hmm. They think of a book, 
like a megaphone or magnifying glass for like a blog post, meaning you've got some idea and now you want the credibility that comes with being a published, maybe even being a best-selling author. And that's a really bad reason to write a book or, or rather, um, I won't even judge it as a good or bad reason. It's a great way to write a bad book. <laughs> You know, like taking a blog post and stretching it out into a 250 word book. What a terrible thing. So I have great respect for the medium of a book um, because it's a 500 year old technology that has basically never changed. You have paper and ink and that's it. Like that's the technology. Now, now we've got digital printing so we can print it faster and we've got paperback books and, uh, you know, you've got books where the pages are glued in and where they're still kind of stitched in. Uh, but the technology has never really changed. So things that don't change for 500 years aren't going to suddenly change in five years. They, they're going to probably take another 500 years to slowly change. So I have great respect for the medium of a book. It has staying power. It's, it's a perennial product that isn't going to go away anytime soon. Um, and of course, you know, digital books, eBooks, you know, things are changing, but it's still the same kind of thing. These are words that stir something in you that create change, whether that's a story or a how to step-by-step -step tutorial on how to, uh, unclog your toilet, you know, whatever it is like, uh, <laughs> the medium stays the same. So I have great respect for the medium and I don't think you, any old idea ought to be a book. So, um, how do you write a book? You start by doing everything you can to not write a book. Can it be a <laughs> blog post? Can it be a PDF that's, you know, 10 pages and some sort of manifesto? Should it be a podcast or Facebook live or, um, you know, article on medium? Like, what is the message? What do you have to say? And what is the shortest possible way that you could say it? And if the shortest possible way that you could say it is in a hardcover 250 page book, so be it. Write a book. But it is your last resort. If you want to write, because you know, I don't care if you're a content marketer or the next great American novelist. Um, the point is you want a book to do well. You want a book to matter. I've never heard somebody say, I'm just going to write the crappiest book possible because it's going to help my platform. <laughs> now, plenty of people end up doing that, but I've never heard somebody working on a book saying, I hope this thing sucks. Everybody wants it to be <laughs> a great piece of work. And um, the way that you write a great book is first trying to turn it into something else. Write a blog post, then do a podcast, then post something on Facebook or Medium. Like find a bunch of ways to say the thing that you want to say. And if there's still more to say, maybe you've got a book on your hands. But um, I would go from blog post to podcast to maybe a series on my blog, maybe a webinar or two. And then eventually if I'm like, no, th this is even bigger than that and people want to hear this, then I start working on the book. And what you're doing during all that time is product validation, right? You're, you're seeing if the idea resonates with people. You're seeing what questions people have. You're seeing how this thing works in real life. And uh, then from there, um, you don't set out to write a book. You set out to write a word, a sentence, a paragraph, a page. John Grisham, when he was a very busy <laughs> a uh, lawyer and new dad said, I think maybe I'd like to write a book. And so he went to the office an hour early every morning and wrote one page. 
And that was his goal, one page. He did that every day for two years, and then he finished his first novel, uh, which he uh, essentially self-published. He worked with a, uh, a local vanity press, published it, sold a few thousand copies, uh, mostly just to his friends, and then said, that was fun, I'll do that again. Did it again for another two years, a page a day. Uh, launched that book. That book was picked up by um, a publisher, uh, and it was called The Firm, and it became a mega bestseller. And then he goes, I guess I'm a writer now. Four years in the making after practicing daily a little bit um, every single day. So I, I think it's better to say I want to start writing every day about stuff that's interesting to me and start a daily mm -hmm. writing habit. Uh, and then when you have an idea for a book, try to make it everything other than a book first. If there's still resonance, then eventually you go, okay, maybe I need to write the book. And then from there, that's a whole other process that starts with how do I make this idea as clear as possible? Um, how do I take this daily writing habit that I've already developed and apply it to um, the, the outcome? But to write a book, you need an idea, you need an outline and structure, right? So uh, a, a nonfiction book is an answer to a question. That's really what it is. Um, so, you know, real artists don't starve, my last book. So is it true that artists have to starve uh, to produce really great work? My argument is no. So that's the answer to the question. Now, what other questions do you have to ask? Well, how good do you have to be? And how much practice does it take? And how do you market yourself? And, 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 and what about selling out? And does money really matter? And so all of these other answers to these questions become the chapters, right? It becomes the outline of the book. And then finally, you need a plan. Okay, I'm writing about 500 words a day because I've already developed this daily writing habit. I've got this big idea. I've got this book structure. Uh, I think this is going to be, you know, a 40,000, 50,000 word book, uh, 500 words a day. It's going to take me three, four months to write the book. Great. I'm going to give it myself a deadline and a daily word count goal. Now I'm off to the races. I'm so glad you didn't just give me the cheap answer and jump straight to the end because <laughs> justifying what you're doing, is it something that should exist in book form is really such a fundamental question. That's and, a great answer. And I don't, um, thanks. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not in the business of dissuading people and making people think that being a writer is a hard job because it's not, there's way harder jobs than this. Uh, I'm not like a snob about it. If everybody wants to be a writer, go do it. Uh, but please don't put another bad book in the world. You know, that's, we all deserve better than that, don't we? Um, I'm, I am defensive of the medium of books, meaning I want you to write a good book because you want to do that too. And so the best way to write a good book is not to rush into it with your first good idea. The best way is to understand, and, and marketers understand this better than most people, understand the process by which you uh, toss out ideas and validate them. And social media and blogging makes it easy. It's free. It's free for us to validate the ideas before we commit hours and days and months and weeks and years to producing something like a book. You don't want to you don't want to waste that time. You don't want to waste those resources. So when you commit to writing a book, you had better be sure that this idea is probably going to work. 
and it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed success, but if you don't know that when you set out to writing a book, you're making a big and unnecessary gamble when you could have just spent a few months throwing some ideas out on Facebook, blogging about a few different things, podcasting about it, sharing something on Instagram. You can see what actually resonates and what doesn't. And then from there, you could write a book from a much more informed place. And that's important because when you get in the messy middle of the book writing process, you're going to feel very discouraged. And it's important that you know, you believe that this thing is going to work uh, so that your passion and energy can pull you through the doldrums of the experience because those are inevitable. I guess it's like bringing anything big and expensive into the world. You better make sure people want it first. Yeah, right. Like a baby, like buying a house, like, <laughs> you know, car shopping. I'm, there's plenty of people who make these decisions glibly and without much forethought. And I don't have to tell anyone that there are consequences to not thinking those things through, <laughs> you know? Oh, I didn't know a baby was going to be 18 years of work. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's just... There are consequences to you jumping the gun on this, and I'm fine with everybody, um, you know, wanting to be a writer and publish a book and be an expert and, and be an authority, and that's great. And the best way for you to get all those things is to not write a bad book. And the best yeah. way for you to not write a bad book is to not settle for a good enough idea. Good ideas make bad books. This is the fundamental misunderstanding that people have about the book writing process. I've got a good idea, therefore it's going to be a good book. No, it's going to be an average book, which means it's going to be forgettable and nobody's gonna talk about it and it might as well be a bad book. What you want is a book that people talk about and, and you have to start with more than a good idea, not a great idea, because that's subjective, an interesting idea, an idea that people will either love or hate. And when you've got that, now you've got something that people will talk about. And the truth is that the way books spread is not a bunch of people read the book and talk about it. The way books spread is the idea spreads before the person even f finishes the book, right? Mm. And there are plenty of bad books that you and I know about, poorly written books uh, that have sold millions of copies because the idea was pretty interesting. That's a nice idea. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. It's it, it's marketing. It's it's um you know your audience understands this right. Like it is you know eighty percent of the audience only reads the headline. So say everything that you want to say in the headline. It's it is the science of clickbait, which you know we all have different opinions on, but it's why it works. It's psychology, which is you've got to create a little healthy cognitive dissonance to create intrigue that leads people to think differently about you and your message and then gets them to talk about it. Cause we don't talk about average things. We talk about extraordinary things. We talk about surprising things. And so most people have good ideas and that's wonderful. Now take your good idea and make it interesting, which is to say, pick a fight, surprise the audience, disagree with some fundamental assumption that they have. That's really, really helpful. I think before we go, I would like to ask you about the ghost writing okay. agency side of things, because it's very easy to assume, okay, Jeff Goins, big author, he's got it sorted out now. And then what would appear on the outside to look like a rollback to ghost writing. And clearly that's not your perspective. So I'm curious to know why the ghost writing agency and, and who it's for, what drove you to do that? So row back means like um, I'm, a backward I'm, step, a, yeah. a retrograde retrograde movement. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, 
I got a call two years ago from a publisher and they said, do you know anybody who wants to write a book? Anybody like you that, um, has a platform and, and w- would, you know, be interested in working with us? I said, yeah, my friend Grant Baldwin, who teaches public speakers how to succeed, I think he'd be great. Uh, and so I, you know, I make the introduction and Grant goes, yeah, I'm really interested in writing a book. I did that once years ago. I hated it. Um, you know, I said, well, I think they, they might want to pay you a lot of money to do this. So it, it, and I think it'd actually be good for your business to have a book. You know, I'm telling him the things that I just told you, which is like, you, you would get your message out there. You would establish yourself as an authority and, um, this is a book that nobody's really written yet the way that you would write it. It's not about public speaking. It's about, it's not about being a public speaker. It's about the business of speaking. Um, and he goes, well, he jokingly said, well, I'll, I'll do it if you write it for me. And I said, uh, well, I'd write it for you. Uh, if you know, you paid me this much money (laughs) and he said, okay. And I said, okay. And we were off to the races and I did it honestly, cause I didn't know if I would like it. And I knew that he would be an easy client to work with. And he was, he trusted me, um, wasn't micromanagerial about it. And I thought, and I was bored at the time and I wanted to do more writing and I wasn't working on a book of my own at the time. And so I just thought, what the, Hey, you know, I, I, I want, I like writing. I like, I always like working on a book. Um, it keeps me sharp as a writer. So I need to always be working on a book for myself or someone else. And so I did it just to see, and I had plenty of friends who were like, and honestly, the money that I got paid to do, it was not as much money as I would have gotten paid to work on my own book. So it was a retrograde movement. I was taking a step back, but to me, it was just like, it's another way to play. And I had made enough money selling online courses to realize more money is not necessarily the only sign of success. I want to feel fulfilled and challenged in the work that I was doing. So I was bored of making millions of dollars off of, you know, funnels and webinars and stuff. And I wanted to be playing with ideas some more. Uh, so I wrote the book, um, and I really enjoyed the process and I, uh, took my assistant who was just, you know, helping me with admin stuff and she wanted to be more of a writer. And I said, do you want to help me with this and kind of be my research assistant and even, you know, help me write parts of this book. And she said, yeah. And she did an amazing job. She essentially wrote the rough draft of the book, which then I, you know, edited and shaped into the final product. Um, and through that experience, we're like, Hey, this is fun. We could do this and we could probably do this at scale, you know, not hundreds of authors, but I mean, we've got 12 authors that we're working with this year where we write their book proposals. We sell the book to the publisher, get them an agent, get a good book deal, take a piece of that book deal. And, and then we have a process by which we work with the author to get their ideas out of their head and we write the book. Um, so what I like about it is, uh, one, uh, I can make a lot more money, um, writing multiple authors, books, um, writing the book, getting it, you know, giving it to them, letting them go promote it without, you know, having the, the two to three to five year commitment. I've got to, I've got to go promote this thing and make sure it sells, which I always feel pressured to do when I write my own books. Um, and the second, perhaps more important benefit of doing this that I didn't anticipate was, um, I get to play with people's ideas in a way that allows me to influence the world that I wouldn't otherwise get to do. Like I'm working with somebody in the health and wellness space. I'm working with a couple of doctors right now. Uh, and that's amazing, you know, and they're, uh, challenging the healthcare system in America right now, uh, which is obviously in a great 
state of change. I'm working with a huge person in the personal development space who is changing the lives of millions of people every year. And this is this person's magnum opus. It's the last thing that she wants to say to the world before she's kind of done. But as a ghost writer, I get to partner with somebody who has a big idea and doesn't quite know exactly how to say it in the format of a book. And so for me, the way that I do it is I'm not just, I'm not a hired gun. I'm not just writing something that they're dictating to me. I'm helping them turn their good idea into a big idea, an interesting idea, and, and then figuring out how to structure that through the medium of a book, which again, I greatly respect, and then share that message in the world in a way that hopefully it'll spread. And that is, that, that has been unexpectedly fun and really fulfilling. I really like that because it kind of brings us back to the beginning that if you take the next step, the next step will be, be revealed. Yeah. Clarity comes with action, right? Yeah. Jeff, you've been really generous with your time, with your knowledge, experience. It's been awesome. If people want to connect with you, how would you like them to do that? Bob, thank you. It's it's a pleasure. Always good chatting with you. Uh, you can go to my blog at goinswriter.com, G-O-I-N-S writer.com. Once a week, I send out an email newsletter for writers and creatives about uh, writing, creativity, business, life. Uh, and then I have a podcast as well. And so one, once a week, I write an essay. It goes out as an email and as a podcast. And you can find all of that at goinswriter.com. And if anybody's sitting at home thinking, my future is not quite looking like I thought it might, the art of work is probably well worth reading mm, right thank now. Thank you. Jeff, I always try and end on the same question. And I didn't warn you about this question, but you're a big boy and you can handle this. <laughs> What's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago? One thing that I do now, which I wish I would have started five years ago, is I trust myself more. And what that means is um, I'm a, I, I could be a very anxious person. I am especially aware of what I think others might be thinking about me. And this has in a way served me well. So if I'm speaking, you know, at an audience and I'm reading the audience and seeing their eyes, I can, if I, if they're bored or confused, I can very quickly feel that empathically and, and kind of tweak the speech to make sure that I'm adequately entertaining or informing or inspiring people. Um, but uh, left unchecked, <laughs> you know, that can become a really vicious thing. Uh, you know, is, is this person mad at me? Am I okay? Why don't they text me back? Is everything all right? Oh my God, they hate me. You know, I have terrible, <laughs> crazy, weird stuff. Uh, <laughs> and um, what I've realized is nobody really knows what to do. Nobody really knows what I should do. And everybody is mostly, for the most part, making things up as they go along. But I literally did think, especially when I was starting out in the world of online marketing, that everybody kind of had this thing figured out and I didn't. And if I just did what everybody else was doing or took everybody's advice, I would be okay. And it doesn't take you long to realize if you take everybody's advice, you're going to start doing all kinds of um, contradictory things because not everybody agrees. And... The more that I do this, the more I learn to trust myself, trust my intuition. I definitely pay attention to what my peers are doing. I, I have teachers. I have uh, guides and mentors that I look up to. But I take all that information and I process it through my own uh, experience of, you know, does this make sense? Um, you know, does this align with my own values? And then from there I make a decision. And the more I've done that, 
the more it's resonated with the people that I'm trying to reach. And the more I tried to be somebody else, uh, you know, the more it didn't work. And so I wish five years ago I would have realized everybody's just making this up anyway. So I can be informed and then still do the best thing that I know to do. Because I definitely went down some paths uh, in the past five years that I'm still sort of <laughs> pulling myself out of the consequences of those decisions. I did some things cause that's what you do, especially in the marketing world, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And so I did some things just cause I could that in the moment didn't feel like me. And I did them anyway, cause I thought that was what you were supposed to do. And so when I, um, if I could go back five years, I would try to find a way to convince myself to, you know what to do, just trust yourself and do the best that you know how to do in the way that you know how to do it. That's a fantastic answer. Jeff Goins, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Bob. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Jeff is someone who inspires me on so many levels. For me, a strong sense of mission, vocation or calling is what makes me do the things which I'd otherwise avoid, the things which are hard, awkward or embarrassing. When life is busy or hectic, it's easy for that sense of vocation to be overwhelmed. So while everyone is being forced into self-isolation right now, maybe spend a little time listening to see if you can hear something you didn't hear before and possibly get a little closer to uncovering your vocation. Before I go, just a quick reminder to subscribe and if you haven't already, to join our Facebook group. You'll find a link in the show notes. Also, I would love for you to come and subscribe to my YouTube channel uh, and again, just search Bob Gentle on YouTube or there will be a link in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, then I would love for you to review it on iTunes. It would mean a lot to me and it's the very best way to help me reach more subscribers. My name is Bob Gentle. Thanks again to Jeff for giving us his time this week and to you for listening. See you next week. <laughs>